0: Our secular, skeptical world is actually hungry to see miracles. There's so much going on in the news that's disheartening, and so to counter all of the negativity, it's a good exercise to focus upon God's miraculous interventions in life and history. He's continually doing miracles. We just need to rejoice in everything that's happening prophetically in our times. Today I want to look at the miracles of Passover, not just the miracles that happened when God parted the Red Sea, but the many miracles that happened at Passover in Jerusalem when Jesus died to make atonement for the sins of the world. I think you'll be both amazed and encouraged when considering the miracles, signs, and wonders that happened at the time of Jesus' death and resurrection. The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. If you've ever wanted to spend time in Jerusalem, the perfect occasion and some of the nicest weather happens during the great biblical feast of Passover. This is your invitation to join me in Israel from the 11th to the 16th of April. We'll be in the Holy City for Resurrection Sunday with time for worship and touring before we travel to the Galilee and hold a prophetic Passover supper in the Bible village of Cana. Each day we'll have special guest speakers and time of fellowship, prayer, and healing. For details to register, visit our website at exploits.tv. Shalom, I'm Christine Darg. I love to talk about miracles because faith should be contagious. And we need to keep our minds open at all times for God to do wonders in our lives. It's been said that miracles happen every day. We just need to open our eyes to perceive them rather than living in an atmosphere of unbelief and negativity. David Ben-Gurion famously said in Israel, to be a realist, you must believe in miracles, and it's no coincidence that miracles happen to those who believe in them and who hope for them. I'm excited today in this broadcast to talk to you about the miracles of Passover that happen both in the Hebrew Bible and in the New Testament, and I hope your faith will be encouraged and strengthened to believe for great breakthroughs and turnarounds in your life. Some people think a miracle is only a miracle if it happens suddenly, but miracles can grow slowly fueled by our faith and patience. For example, in the healing ministry, there are sometimes instantaneous miraculous healings. And that's so exciting, but there are healings gradually accomplished through faith and patience and perseverance, not letting go of God's promises. Well, in the headlines, there's a lot of talk this week about the miracle of the crossing of the Red Sea, which is part of the biblical narrative of the Exodus and the first Passover when the Israelite slaves, led by Moses, escaped from the Egyptian army on the way to the Promised Land. As Moses held out his staff, the sea was parted by God. Then the Israelites passed through on dry ground, followed by the pursuing Egyptian army. But the army was destroyed when the sea came crashing back upon horse and rider. In recent years, there have been all sorts of claims that Pharaoh's army's chariot wheels have been discovered at the bottom of the Red Sea. The miracles of the first Passover included all the supernatural plagues that God brought as judgments against Egypt, such as the River Nile turning to blood, and the plague of terrifying, thick darkness over the land. The tenth and most severe plague was the wholesale death of Egypt's firstborns, while the Israelites were kept safe, sheltered under the blood of the Passover lamb painted over their doors. Fresh research detailed in books and films considers the possible routes that the Hebrews took to the Red Sea when they departed Egypt, and we're learning new extra-biblical evidence that the exodus really did happen. As exciting as all of this is, we mustn't forget, however, the miracles of Passover in the New Testament, when Jesus died to make atonement as the world's savior. Back in Egypt, in the book of Exodus, darkness covered the land for three days. And in the New Testament, darkness covered all the land from midday for three terrifying hours while Jesus was dying. One of the biggest miracles of Passover is that the Messiah died according to the plan of God at that specific appointed time, Passover. God's purpose was announced in prophecy in the Hebrew scriptures. Even the particular manner of the Lord's death was foretold and accurately described in Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53. You see, Jesus fulfilled many types and shadows of the Passover festival, including the holiday of first fruits when he was raised on Resurrection Sunday as the first fruits from the dead. In fact, every one of the sacrifices in the Hebrew Bible typified Jesus the Messiah. The Passover or Paschal sacrifice was a type of the Lord Jesus as the Lamb of God. The Paschal Lamb had to be a male without spot or blemish, and not one of its bones could be broken. Jesus fulfilled this picture in every detail. As the Israelites in Egypt applied the blood of the sacrifice by faith, to their doors, so today believers apply the spotless blood of Jesus, the Messiah, by faith to the doorposts of our hearts. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul declared in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Messiah, our Passover, has been sacrificed for us. Well, many supernatural events took place during Passover week when Jesus died as the Lamb of God. And scripture makes it clear in Acts 223 that Jesus was delivered up into the hands of lawless men to be put to death. But those events were carefully coordinated by God's deliberate plan and providential foreknowledge. Let's read the account of the supernatural events surrounding the death of Jesus at Passover. And I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 27 in the New Testament. And I'm going to start with verse 45, when Jesus was dying on the cross. It says, Now from the sixth hour, which was high noon, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. That's three o'clock in the afternoon. Think about that. It should have been broad daylight in the springtime. And yet it says a supernatural darkness covered the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was directly referencing Psalm 22. The fact that the original Hebrew is retained here, Eli, Eli, and so forth, explains how bystanders misunderstood what they heard, as carnal men often do, And they said, look, he's calling for Elijah. Other bystanders said, let's see if Elijah will come to save him. By quoting Psalm 22, Jesus was fulfilling that awful prophecy about the crucifixion in real time. Some people want to run and hide from God as far as possible. But Jesus had lived in the Father's presence, and so he was acutely aware of being abandoned to bear the sins of the world. Of course, in actuality, Jesus wasn't deserted by God because God is omnipresent. But at that time, the Messiah who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. As the Apostle Paul explained in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made the Messiah who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Messiah. Also in Galatians 3.13, Paul spoke of Messiah as being made a curse on our behalf. And so returning to the narrative in Matthew 27, picking up with verse 50, then Jesus cried out with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. The Amplified Bible says he gave up his spirit voluntarily, sovereignly dismissing and releasing his spirit from his body in submission to his father's plan. And what did he shout with a loud voice? Well, the Gospel of John tells us. He exclaimed, it is finished. Meaning the work of redemption was accomplished on the cross. So what happened next? Verse 51 of Matthew 27. And at once the veil of the Holy of Holies in the temple was torn in two. Now listen carefully. It says from top to bottom. Not from bottom to top, but from top to bottom, it was rent. That's supernatural. Also, the earth shook, an earthquake, and the rocks were split apart. Verse 52. Now, this is an amazing verse and one that has always captured my imagination. And the tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints, that's God's people, who had fallen asleep in death, were raised to life. Verse 53 says, and coming out of the tombs, listen, after his resurrection, they entered the holy city, Jerusalem, and appeared to many. Verse 54 Now the Roman centurion and those who were keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and all the things that were happening, they were terribly frightened and filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. Hallelujah. Now let's look at these signs and wonders. Jesus had been charged by the religious authorities as a blasphemer and an imposter. Yet God set his seal upon Jesus, not only by resurrecting him from the dead, but at his death, darkness covered the land the thick temple veil was torn in two. An earthquake split the rocks and graves flew open. All these signs and wonders, the darkness, the torn veil, the earthquake, the burst, open graves, these all constituted divine validation of Jesus as Messiah. The darkness at noonday over all the land of Judea was supernatural. Because you see, a solar eclipse never continues for three hours. This darkness was engineered by the same providence that plagued the Egyptians with total darkness In Exodus chapter 10, while Jesus was on the cross, darkness expressed the moral anguish of spirit that he was enduring for sinners. In those three dreadful hours, he took on himself punishment for all of our offenses, past, present, and future. It can also be said that the darkness expressed the spiritual warfare going on of the powers of darkness arrayed against Jesus who is, after all, the light of the world and the sun of righteousness. The darkness also served to interrupt the bystander's ridicule and mockery. Now they're struck with terror, and we have a scene of public bewailing. Luke's account in chapter 23 informs us that the crowds who had assembled for the spectacle return home beating their breasts, literally striking their fists against their chest as an expression of sorrow, anger, or woe. Now let's consider the earthquake, a portent from the earth. In my research, I learned that travelers have observed marks of extraordinary convulsions in the rocks of Jerusalem. Fissures reportedly lie across the natural cleavage Though earthquakes are produced by natural causes, yet they're also under the control and direction, of course, of God. Theologians teach that this earthquake attested to God's approval of Jesus' sufferings, while also it expressed his anger against Jesus' persecutors. For example, Amos 8.8 in the Hebrew Scriptures is the Bible verse that speaks of the earth trembling and everyone mourning because of their evil deeds. Also in the Hebrew Bible, Nahum 1.6 is another verse that explains nature's convulsions. That verse says, who can withstand God's indignation? Who can endure his fierce anger? His wrath is poured out like fire and the rocks are shattered before him. And what about the rending of the temple veil? That was a major sign and wonder occurring at the critical moment when Jesus dismissed his spirit. The rending of the veil said, it was all over now. Now there was no longer any veil separating man and God. This occurred strategically at the time of the evening sacrifice and on the occasion of the great festival of Passover when the lambs were laid on the altar and the people in vast numbers were praying for redemption. We aren't informed how the ripping of this very thick veil happened whether by lightning or by invisible hands or the earthquake. But the veil was strong and couldn't have been rent from the top to the bottom by any ordinary force. This was a divine act. And it happened simultaneously when the Redeemer yielded up his spirit and made his sacrificial substitutionary death for you and me. This was no mere accident or coincidence. This was phenomenal, and the Apostle Paul, who was a great rabbi, certainly thought so. In the New Testament, Paul regarded the rending of the veil of the temple as emblematic of the rending of the Lord's body. Jesus' sacrifice opened the way of access to God for guilty sinners and opened to all who believe the way into God's presence through the merits of Messiah. The torn veil also signified the revealing and unfolding of the mysteries of the hebrew scriptures because jesus is a picture of god's mercy seat he's that ark of the covenant who contains in his heart the unbroken tables of the law he is that precious golden pot of incorruptible manna that the israelites gathered in the wilderness and kept as a memorial he is the very bread of life from heaven and god didn't allow his body to see corruption but raised him from the dead. So we can conclude that the veil that separated off the Holy of Holies was torn in two from top to bottom, signifying that the way of access to God was now open to all believers. And what about the other signs and wonders? Well then, this is extremely important. The commentaries tell us that the opening of the graves in Jerusalem and the Lord's own resurrection signify that Jesus has won victory over death. The opening of those graves was the harbinger of the general resurrection of the dead in the future. The tombs that were shattered by the earthquake doubtless continued to lay open throughout the Sabbath day while Jesus himself lay in the tomb. And this is interesting because Jewish law strictly would not allow any attempt to touch or to repair the graves on the Sabbath. But miraculously, according to the text, the dead bodies in the exposed open tombs did not come out and to life until after the Lord's resurrection had taken place. And that timeline fits in with other scriptures. For example, Colossians 1.18 declares that Jesus was the firstborn from the dead, and 1 Corinthians 15.20 describes him as the firstfruits of them that slept, that died. So who were these saints who arose from the shattered tombs and appeared to many after the resurrection of Jesus? Scholars say they were the resurrected bodies of eminently holy persons who went into the holy city, Jerusalem, and appeared unto many. Why? To testify to the most important event in history, Jesus' resurrection. And to declare their own rescue from the grave as a kind of first fruits of the Lord's triumphant power over death. And don't forget, this all happened on the holiday within Passover called First Fruits. Well, we aren't told the identity of these saints. Some theologians suppose that these resurrected saints were great holy persons mentioned in the Bible and that they were recognized by revelation just as Moses and Elijah were recognized by the disciples at Jesus' transfiguration. But other theologians think it more probable that these resurrected saints were individuals who had recently died, perhaps, persons who had followed Jesus and were well known to the apostles and disciples. But whoever they were, their resurrection was an extraordinary event, noised about in Jerusalem amongst those to whom they had appeared. This was undeniable evidence of the resurrection and lordship of Jesus. As stated in Matthew's account, these saints appeared to many in Jerusalem, but there's no indication that they continued in the company of the apostles and disciples because they were undoubtedly raised to immortality. And so they accompanied Jesus in his ascension to heaven. A fact that's alluded to in Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 8, which says that when Jesus ascended on high, he led a host of captives with him. So the fact of the Lord's resurrection was also verified by the resurrection of these saints who went to glory with the Lord. Thus, just as the rending of the temple veil intimated that the entrance into the most holy place, a type of heaven, was now laid open to all nations, so the resurrection from the dead of a number of saints demonstrated that the power of death and the grave were broken. The sting was removed from death and Jesus' resurrection portend victory over the grave being secured. There were many other wonders at this totally unique Passover in Jerusalem, unique because of the Lord's death and resurrection during the festival. Other events that were so supernatural. A dream was given as a warning to the wife of the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, who condemned Jesus to be executed. We're all created with a free will, but God in his mercy allows us to be warned so that we might choose to do the right thing. And Matthew twenty-seven nineteen informs us that while Pilate was actually sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him a message saying, don't have anything to do with that innocent man, Jesus. For she said, I've suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. Another sign and wonder, also with the cross over the Lord's head, was written an inscription in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin, which said, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. The religious leaders were mortified by this description of Jesus' crime, And they tried to convince the Roman governor Pilate to change his wording on the sign. But Pilate said adamantly, what I've written, I have written. That meant that for the record, there was a distinct recognition of Jesus' kingship over the Jewish people. Despite the rejection of him at that time, and despite the deeply humiliating circumstances. But his kingship was billboarded as fact for time and eternity. Another wonder, which is recorded in Luke 23, was the conversion of one of two criminals crucified with Jesus. One planted on each side of him just to make his public execution even more humiliating. Now these criminals weren't just petty thieves. They were robbers who probably belonged to one of the bands of robbers that haunted the mountains of Judea in those days. But now Providence arranged that they both had the opportunity to observe the majesty of Jesus and to hear his powerful words, such as the Lord's prayer for his executioners. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. One of the criminals who hung there heaped abuse on Jesus, saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the penitent thief said, This man has done nothing wrong like we have. And then he said, Jesus calling him, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Those were miraculous words that could have only been spoken by the spirit of revelation. Perhaps the thief at one time had been taught truths but had fallen in with bad company. But now he had spiritual eyes to see just who Jesus really was. You see, one day, and I believe it's going to be soon, Jesus will come into his kingdom exactly as the penitent thief prophesied. In the future, at Jesus' second coming, a prophecy will be fulfilled that the angel Gabriel gave to Jesus' mother Mary in Luke 1, 32. Gabriel told Mary that her son will be given the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. Well, Jesus reassured the penitent robber by saying, truly, I tell you, today, You shall be with me in paradise. The thief's faith had saved him at the last minute. Think about that. He was never baptized, but his faith saved him, and he was given great hope during his torture and suffering. Think also about the confession of the Roman centurion at the place of execution. At first, according to Luke's gospel, the soldiers had mocked and reviled Jesus, But after all these wonders, now they feared exceedingly, and the centurion in particular, because he made a true confession, saying that Jesus was a righteous man, and exclaimed, Truly, this was the Son of God. And Mark 1539 gives us extra insight. It tells us, And when the centurion, who stood there in front of Jesus, saw how he died, He said, surely this man was the son of God. The Gospel of Luke tells us that the Lord's last words were, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And this he uttered, his last words, with a loud, great voice. Then immediately he yielded up his spirit and breathed his last. He dismissed his spirit before the soldiers could break his legs to make him die quicker. This is because, as a type of the Passover lamb, none of his bones could be broken. Also, the loudness of his voice in the very act of his dying showed that his death was voluntary. After all, Jesus had said earlier in John 10, 17, I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have received authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This charge, he said, I have received from my Father. That statement tells us Jesus had power over his own life. He could either retain or dismiss his spirit. But he was not a victim. He voluntarily surrendered his life. He poured out his soul unto death to make atonement for mankind. And this is why it's so important that we preach Christ crucified the gospel of Christ crucified vindicates itself as the power of God and the wisdom of God all of these wonders at Passover should demand our allegiance and faith in the Lord's merits for salvation and we should be eternally grateful the same God who was active in all the miracles of the Bible recorded these Passover details for our own admonition So today I'm praying for you to have eyes to see, like the penitent thief had spiritual eyes to see, that we're all sinners, but we can say, Lord Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Count me in. Save my soul. I repent. Now I also pray for manifest miracles in your life and for ongoing sound mind and good health. By the way, at our website, exploits.tv, we have a 24-7 library of more video teachings to help you in your spiritual walk. And don't forget to download our free Jerusalem Channel app from your app store. It offers information about our videos, e-books, and a Bible reading plan. And so until next time, always contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. I'm Christine Dark. Shalom and Maranatha. It only happens once in a decade, so please don't miss one of the world's great theatrical events, the historic Passion Play in Oberammergau, Germany. My husband Peter and I will be leading this week-long tour in September and exploring some of Europe's great cities that inspired the Protestant Reformation. And will end in the Bavarian Alpine Village of Oberammergau to witness the five-hour reenactment of the trial crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. The Passion Play was first performed in 1634 when the villagers staged the event in thanks to God for sparing them from an outbreak of bubonic plague. This year will be only the 42nd time the tradition is carried out. We'll begin the tour on September 16 in the city of Prague. This will include an overnight stay to visit some of the city's historic Jewish sites, and then the chapel where Reformation leader Jan Hus preached. Then our private coach takes us first to Leipzig, the city of Johann Sebastian Bach, and then to Wittenberg, where Martin Luther lit the fires of the Reformation. At every stop, you'll meet expert local guides to take you through the monasteries, churches, castles, and homes of some of the great personalities who shaped European culture and faith. We'll also engage in prayers about anti-Semitism and believe that putting our feet in these places will make a difference. On day seven of the tour, we arrive in Oberammergau to experience the Passion Play and overnight in one of the village's charming hotels. There is much more to this special week from the 16th to the 23rd of September. To find out all details, visit our events page of our website at exploits.tv. We do have very limited space left, so please book early, and we'll look forward to spending a great week together. Hope to see you in Oberammergau.